our intentions or when we ordain or the intention for all of us is to realize Nibbana. So I mean that's in Buddhist terms that's the uh, that's the uh, best intention there is. It mean it implies, doesn't it, to be free from all ignorance. And to be free from the, all the illusions of birth and death and so forth. So so to realize Nibbana is the intention of this life, that is aim. The unshakable deliverance of the heart. You know, this is uh, its aim, this is the purpose of it. And then of course after you 
you take the uh, ordination and so forth, and you are, you have made that your intention. But then we have to deal with the realities of what we're feeling, our own habits, character tendencies, uh, difficulties, uh, the vicissitudes, the, the problems of existence that we have influence our mind. And so uh, from, when, we, when, we, uh, when we're inspired and we want to realize Nibbana, then that, that's one kind of experience. They are inspiring ordination days. And the kind of everything is is, uh, is supporting that intention, and everything looks very good, and one is very and it may be uplifted at the time. But then the realities of daily life can be pretty dreary, or boring, or disappointing. So that's why we keep reflecting on our intention. Yeah, our, the intention is like the guiding star. It's, it's the best. It's the direction to go toward. And so that's why we need to keep reminding ourselves of the intention, not to forget the intention. Because that is the best. That is the, that is the direction to go in. But it's, a, it's like a star, is that it's, a, it's very high and it, and it helps you to keep uh, track of where you are and where you're going. And that's why we need to, to look at that intention, keep that direction very clear. And then we can begin to, from that, see, uh, work with the vicissitude with the experiences, with the habits, the character tendencies, the, the obstructions, the difficulties, the delusions, the whole, all the sangsaric conditioning that, that we uh, are ex- will experience is, is not, uh, you know, it's, it's not a star, is it? It's, it's just the stuff that, that we have to learn to uh, understand, learn to work with, learn to recognize, and not to, to uh, ever get confused about what our intention is. We have every opportunity in this life to, uh, to, to experience our karma. We are the owners of our karma, heir to our karma, and so forth. So we have opportunities to, for success and failure, for praise and blame, for, for exciting, interesting lifestyle, for really boring, dreary experiences, for great hope and enthusiasm, for total disillusionment, disappointment. So we go through these various experiences. And uh, then it, uh, but then the the aim of the practice is to is to use these the this this re- resultant karma, the bhaka karma that we experience in daily life, to not be deluded by it, to see it in terms of what it is as not self, as anatta, 
to see it as impermanent, what arises ceases. To recognize the unsatisfactoriness of it, the dukkha. And that takes reflection. That takes, uh, and that those, those aren't just labels we apply to experience, but those are uh, characteristics that we contemplate. So you're, you're, you're contemplating, developing the contemplative mind, reflecting on this is like this. For example, the reflections on time in the morning, in the morning puja. Really, if you keep doing that, it really helps you to 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 really uh, change your uh, attitude towards the, the perceptions of time. Remember reading poetry about eternity is now, and I'm never quite understanding it. Where now? That's because uh, now, in those days, the day before I started meditating, was uh, was never very much in the present, but always uh, uh, thinking about something else. So, uh, thinking of eternity is now is was uh, was maybe poetic, uh, gave gave a kind of poetic uh, importance, but didn't really appreciate the the profundity of it. So I started contemplating the perceptions of time. And so asking myself, this making, this inquiry, the past, right now, where is it? And so the future, at this present moment, what is it? And is, is there anything outside this present moment? Is there ever, you know, are we ever going to, uh, isn't, the, isn't the, the idea of a future is something that we can become very interested in and, and put a lot of uh, importance on the future. But, th- but as actual experience, it's always now that we're conscious, that we're breathing, that we're feeling, that we're experience sensation. And the reflective mind then can, can do that. We can contemplate this. We can actually see it, know it. It's not theoretical, it's, it's noticing, it's observing the way it is. Noticing grasping and non-grasping. Self and not self. Form and space, sound and silence. This is the intuitive awareness that comes through awakened attention, paying attention. And so these teachings are, are making these suggestions to, you know, to keep paying attention. Look at what the self is. 
what is the ego and what is it as an experience in the present? And when there isn't any, what is it like? And there's no self, and when there is self, when there is grasping, uh, what is that like? And so you contemplating grasping things, grasping ideas, having opinions, being full of uh, views and and fears and desires and so forth, and really grasping them. And when you, but there's also that part of you, that which is observing. Grasping is like this. And then we, we, we see the pain, the suffering of grasping, we, we, we let go. Then we become aware of non-grasping is like this. Non-grasping is very peaceful. Non-self is peaceful. Becoming somebody and grasping everything is not peaceful. It can be exciting, interesting, fascinating, absolutely fantastic, marvelous, utterly boring, totally despairing, absolutely and utterly, totally shattering, absolutely devastating, totally bewildering, utterly confusing, <laughs> but never peaceful. So that's just the way it is. It's just not self, it's not anything wrong with it. It's just that, that when you grasp conditions, then you, that's what, uh, that's what, uh, that's what uh, happens. You feel like that. And when you let go, then, you, then it's like this. And so th this is called uh, reflecting, uh, contemplating the way things are, the Buddha theme and Dhamma. And through this, then you, you see, you develop the path. The path becomes very clear because you, you see it, that uh, before one was grasping with an e with full of one's views and opinions, an, an ego, a sense of yourself importance, you're uh, always trying to get something you don't have yet, trying to get rid of things that you don't like, because one didn't know anything, anything else. That's just what everyone does and that's all one ever knew, that was consciousness, that was life, that was the world for us. There is no other option as far as we knew. So we just, uh, you know, muddled around in that until we uh, had the, the barami and the accumulated virtues to hear the Dhamma. And then suddenly in uh, something in you responds to that, isn't it? Like when you first hear the Dhamma, it's a, and you awaken, or it remembers, or it responds, and says, yes, there is a way, there is an, an alternative. One isn't just helpless victim lost in this uh, endless wandering, in this samsara. There is Nibbana. Then the self comes in and says, will make all kinds of statements. First, maybe one gets into the engine, I'm going to reach Nibbana. The ego says, I'm going to get Nibbana in this lifetime. And then another part of yourself is, 
Oh, you couldn't get any money. You've never been able to do anything very well. <laughs> but that's the, that's the self that we can observe, both in its arrogant kind of assertions and I'm going to be the first arahant in Europe or or I, I'm just a hopeless case, what makes it, you know, I, I know I could never, uh, there's no hope for me. And those, those are, but there is that which is observing these conditions. Isn't it? You, you're not really that which is, which is saying those, those, making those kind of comments. Those are just, those are just habits of the mind, conditions of the mind. So from there you start you start seeing just that this is these these conditions are they're like this sometimes they're positive and they're, and uh, very encouraging other times they're very negative very uh, ugly and very uh, cruel but they are conditions of the mind they're not and and they they are always one can always observe them as conditions so that's the, that's what the point of the, the buddha's teaching was to to awaken to the to the way it is to see conditions as conditions not to to get enthusiastic or depressed about the quality of those conditions because that's what we tend to do. We get enthusiastic when they're nice, pleasant, and when we get depressed, despairing when they're uh, unpleasant. And so that's we're 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 we're, we're uh, influenced by the quality of it very strongly. But in a contemplative state, then we're, we're not. We're, the quality isn't so important. Is not. We're not giving importance to the quality of whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, but it is impermanent. It is not self, and it is dukkha. So everything then, it can be seen as boredom and just the subtleties of, of daily life, just little stuff that, uh, that can take the, the pleasure out of living, just the, just the grumbling and the, and the uh, heedlessness and the... Uh, way that one can live one's life without even knowing it and just uh, making life rather a dreary, gray, drab experience. Or all the little uh, attitudes about oneself, one's feeling, about uh, how you feel about yourself as a person that we can, can give, you know, we can give a lot of importance to these, these feelings we have as, about ourselves as people. But there's also that which observes that as Anicca Dukkha Nata. So that's what we mean by refuge in the Buddha, that, that which knows things as they are, knows the, knows the Dhamma, contemplates the way it is not deluded by the quality or the quantity uh, of the conditions that, w that uh, you might be experiencing. doesn't matter anymore.
then meditation on just the, the basic practices start with like the body, the, your own human body, bringing attention to the body, the breath, the silence of the mind. So that this is, these are always present, the body is here and the breath is inhaling, exhaling and the silence is always here, so you're, you're paying attention, you're beginning to establish mindfulness on these uh, objects. Because in that way you, you're, you, you develop a concentration ability to concentrate the mind. It isn't just caught up in the you know, whirlwind or a cyclone of thoughts and habits. So you're slowing down, you're, you're learning to say, get, get, uh, become, uh, train yourself to one-pointedness or collectedness, where you're, you're collecting yourself from just the, the, the frenzy of, of uh, thinking, of conceptual proliferation. You know, most of us in the beginning of the stories are about, you know, think, 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 think. We want to meditate and all we want peace and tranquility and we sit and all we do is think. And we become obsessed. And we want to stop thinking. The more we want to stop thinking, the more we think. When you resist thinking, the more you resist it, the more you think. You know, you can't that seems totally hopeless because uh, the, 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 the con- we're used to just proliferating, going on endlessly in, in thought. We're, 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 the society isn't one where we're, we're usually much aware of, uh, of silence or non-thought. Especially if you've been through universities and read a lot and think a lot and, and talk a lot. <laughs> it, uh, because of this very strong habit of thinking about the only way you can stop thinking is going to sleep. And then you get really upset if you have insomnia and you can't sleep. Then you spend all night thinking. Then you have to go to the doctor to get sleeping remedies, sleeping pills, so that you can knock yourself out to stop the thinking process. So concentrating the mind, one pointedness is like like the use of mantra helps. These different techniques, uh, anapanasati, concentrating on an object. So to be able to focus and hold your attention onto something, on an object, a peaceful object. And the sound of silence, a very helpful way of concentrating the mind. Is that, that definitely is more, more like the, that is, is more like a, that's a concentrated Awareness. Then the then the reflective teachings of the Buddha is like contemplating the five khandhas and the six ayatanas, the 
consciousness, uh, grasping, desire and grasping, uh, suffering and its and its origins and the cessation and the path and so these teachings, uh, you know, are are there to uh, contemplate. This is like five khandas. I found that such a an, uh, a, a brilliant way to describe uh, the universe, where everything fits into five groups. Remember when I first started contemplating the five khandas years ago, and you know, I never, never had thought of it in that way. And uh, totally, you know, found a very interesting approach because, uh, you know, into the universities, but uh, never, never contemplate, never thought in terms of five, you know, using the five groups as a way of describing uh, the universe. And I could see that it was, you know, the Buddha was was uh, simplifying everything for us because uh, we, we get so complicated in, in our kind of endless interest in, in uh, refined details of the, of the conditioned realm. But in this five khandas, it's just, you know, rupa, vedana, sannyas, and vinyana, five groups. And you can, you know, all, all everything, uh, mental and physical uh, conditions that we that are that are this or that, whether it's uh, inside or outside, whether it's in the universe or it's in in the mind or whatever, they all fit into that, into those five groups. That's brilliant. You get you get perspective on it because five is easy to contemplate, isn't it? Five is remember when I was first learning to count on my hand, one, two, three, four, five. Five, you can get perspective on. Five, but uh, ten billion is very hard to get any perspective on, isn't it? It just means a lot. At least that's what it does to me. Ten billion means a lot. And five, you can <laughs> I can manage that. And then, uh, then it's even more simple, down to the conditioned and the unconditioned. So, seeing the, the, whole, the whole human experience and the universal system in terms of the conditioned and the unconditioned. And what this helps you to do is to, is to get perspective and, and you learn how to use your mind in a skillful way. Uh, contemplate and and observe. We're not trying to attach to these as kind of these are Buddhist laws, and we've got to you know hold to them and believe in the five khandas and the <laughs> but they're they're uh, practical, expedient ways of using the mind, training the mind to to get out of its the, its endless proliferating habits and its uh, and its wrong views. It's the ignorance. And of course, the big, the big, uh, the biggest ignorance is the is the sense of a self in, in regards to these five khandas. 
So the, the, the ego, the sense of me and mine, just, that's what we think about, you know. And I, when I first ordained, uh, just thinking about myself all the time, thinking when when, when you're left alone, and, and then you start thinking about yourself. Didn't have any books to think about anything else. No one to talk to. Just me alone, and and, and, and then I just thought about myself all the time. It was really horrible to have to spend all day, all night, days on end, weeks on end, thinking about yourself. What a nightmare. But that's all I knew how to do. But then, then through the uh, development uh, of uh, the practice and through through the uh, understanding of Dhamma, then the, it all one you know the the habitual tendency to just proliferate endlessly and about yourself and what I think and feel and all that. And I noticed the first few months, my every kind of memory of the past seemed to come up. I remember everything, things I had, memories I hadn't had for years. You know, I remember back to early childhood. You know, I was, must have been only about three years old. Memories of, of being a very young child. And thing, memories that had just never, not, but not had them since, you know, years and years. But just left alone, there was uh, so much of this going on. And it, it, it's kind of swimming in the sea of memories and, and obsessive thinking. And so then the, this investigation of Dhamma helped to, to get some perspective on that and, to, to, uh, and also the practice of like, concentrating the mind was a different way of training the mind, a way I had never developed before, the way that you develop mental training in the modern education is, uh, is, is thinking through reason and logic, through associating one thing with another, with, with discrimination. And so it, uh, that, that had been highly developed. But this one-pointedness had never been, you know, never been developed before. So, so that was... quite uh, helpful to, to learn how to do that, how to compose the mind, how to sustain, how to put your attention on an object and sustain and hold your attention on it, and to, to uh, keep from uh, and, and bringing, and when the attention wanders, to bring it back again. There's the patience it takes to be able to do a simple task, a simple practice of just concentrating the mind. And you have to develop your upayas yourself, really. Like Lumpur Cha was very, he really appreciated people that could develop upaya. You know, had to, you were using wisdom, developing wisdom 
with their practice, where they could apply the skillful means appropriate to a particular situation that you're in. Where some people aren't very good at developing, they want to be told, what should I do next? And, and to do this. They, they may not have any, they, they don't feel confident in developing upaya or skillful means. But we were encouraged to do that in the, in the WhatsApp poll. So, so I did, I, I quite enjoyed it, because I've I'm, I'm taken into account just my character, my tendency, habits, and uh, where I tended to get deluded, or where I tended to suffer, where I was most uh, heedless. I remember the, I first learned Anapanasati at Wat Mahatat in Bangkok before I ordained, and, and I really wasn't getting anywhere with that uh, when I became a novice. I, the mind was just too, this, this think, think, think problem was too much for me. Because when I was left alone uh, too much, and then I'm, I just, my mind just went into, into this obsessive thinking, and uh, and Anapanasati was just totally impossible. Couldn't couldn't hold my attention on the breath for for half an inhalation. <laughs> so, so then I thought mantra that will help because then it's like fighting fire with fire, isn't it? I was thinking so much. I thought I'll use I'll use thought to slow down thinking. So I'll just use like a mantra and just think the mantra which will stop this proliferating tendency, this, this obsessive thinking. So I had been contemplating the Four Noble Truths a lot and I had this, this has, I, I like this idea of letting go. So I, I, I made up my own mantra, let go. And I didn't, in those days, I didn't even have enough faith in Buddha, Buddho, to use Buddha, even though that was the one everybody used. But uh, I really wasn't, you know, you know, didn't really appreciate Buddha all that much in those days. And I was still thinking more in terms of, like, I was thinking, well, any word would do. You could say Coca-Cola or something like that. That might, I couldn't get any real interest in Coca-Cola. To, you know, I realized you had to have an you had to some kind of affinity with with the, with the mantra. So what really appealed to me was letting go, because I could see I was so, you know, obsessed, so so hung up with thought, and uh, and this idea of letting go was a very attractive one. So so I I used that and uh, just uh, remember reading in the book that you had to you had to make it very clear you had to keep making your mantras into very you know clear mantras you just couldn't drone them through they didn't work if you just went into kind of perfunctory drones you had to really make them kind of sharp and strong so i i developed uh, this let go i'd i'd visualize it in neon light let go red or green and then 
and then I then I keep I keep saying it inwardly, and uh, but the mind was was resisting it so much that I had to develop a very strong, I mean you know mentally strong let go that was so that could overpower this resistance. So I mean it's like you're you're learning how to develop that kind of energy where you're just uh, you're. You're contemplating because you're seeing that there may be this resistance to to doing this, or how the, the the old habits are so strong that they they can easily take you over unless you're one up on them. So I developed methods of being one up on my habits, and so like like I, I used to almost scream, let go internally, not externally, like a high pitched screaming. Uh, I just, just fast, r- like machine gun firing, and that stopped the proliferating mind. After a while, the, the conceptual proliferation just finally gave up on it, and then uh, then I could kind of reduce the reduce it to a more to less uh, unpleasant uh, level of. Uh, of mantra chanting to uh, to more to where it was, but then I could always keep aware of when when my mind started to go back into these into this uh, obsessive thinking, and so I could keep check on 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 just using this mantra and uh, and this uh, this obsessive thinking, and I found that very that helped me a lot just just to slow down the mind and to find a place to find. To get some perspective on thought, where you're actually not thinking anymore. Because sometimes the mantra would stop, and then there would be nothing. There'd be just emptiness. There'd be no thought, and the and the, the habitual hadn't started yet. So you could begin to see that there, underneath all that, there's there, you know, there's great. I could recognize that there's possibility there of. Uh, Being liberated from this this uh, stuff. And then after a while, the mantras seemed a bit too coarse, and Anapanasati seemed very good. You took an interest in that. It was more refined. And, and I found, you know, that uh, that concentration is much better than with uh, anapanasati, because it is a more refined practice. But at first, I found the mantra the most useful because anapana was too coarse a person for that. He needed a coarse coarse practice. And then uh, then the sound of silence I began to use. Because the then that was even more, more, I found that more helpful than Anapanasati. Then the, uh, then the uh, contemplations of the body and uh, the uh, learning to, to relax the body. And of course, all this is is a process of just time of, of attitude, really developing an attitude that is 
conducive towards meditation. An attitude is, uh, you know, that's what I think is most important, to have the right attitude. Because uh, the methods aren't, they, you know, the, the methods work if you have the right attitude. But the methods don't work if, if the attitude is not right. So some people have a lot of faith in methods, but they don't have the right attitude, so that they just, they just condition themselves with some kind of meditation technique, which is another habit they develop. They become a habitual kind of uh, doing a particular technique. And they don't gain any insight, or they, it uh, doesn't lead anywhere other than maybe some level of tranquility. The attitude then is is to is to contemplate and reflect on the say to to look at the way it is to awaken pay attention if attention the Buddha is the awakened one attentive watchful aware of the way it is. So then the refuge in the Buddha became a strong image for me, where before it was just a, one of those quaint things that Theravadan Buddhists said when they had ceremonies, Bhutang Serenangachami, and, and uh, I had it kind of, I was quite conceited when I first ordained, and I, you know, I thought a lot of this stuff is just really irrelevant. You know, it's the high custom and they didn't see the advantage or the, the, the importance of it till later. And then Bhutang Ternangachami now is, you know, after 28, 29 years, that is, uh, that goes not so important, but Bhutang Ternangachami absolutely is, is the most beautiful thing I can think. I like to go to bed at night, lie in my bed and just sit in my chair in my room and just sit there and relax and Buddha. Buddha. The word Buddha now just really is the most beautiful thing I can think, the most beautiful word in my vocabulary. And at one time it was just, it wasn't all that important. It was just a, a word that I could define but didn't, didn't really uh, understand. But if you follow this path through to where your where your mind where where you do uh, uh, they um, you free the mind from it from from its habit you begin to get some space and some openness in it and, and where your reflective abilities are very good you know you can see the 
suffering and non-suffering. You can, you know, you, 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 we, we can observe it. We can know that when there's sufferings like this, non-sufferings like this. And then the, then it's a very, you know, it's a very simple uh, understanding, but it, it, but it's very profound. You can see it's very difficult to teach because, because uh, why the Buddha after his enlightenment didn't think it, anyone would understand it because. It, it's just so, it's so, uh, so very simple that uh, it's, it's like, it's too, too simple for people. It's too, the people don't, don't see it as important. You have to make, you have to put some glamour into it, you know, the, what, what is it, the great liberation or the, put it in superlative language. <laughs> the ultimate highest happiness, nibbana, the greatest attainment, uh, the, the, and put it in, in, in hyperbolic terms to make people want to do it. Because if we just said, knowing the difference between <laughs> doesn't sound like it's worth anything. You've got to have these uh, kind of um, sachi sachi kind of organizations that come along and kind of sell your product. You give it some some kind of uh, oomph that will uh, make people will want to take an interest in it. Then contemplate it. Now, say, there's not, let's say now, is it the breath, the body, the silence? Just the, it's not exciting, is it? There's nothing, nothing, uh, you know, that is extreme, very extreme going on right now. Most of our life is just like this sitting, standing, walking, lying down, breathing. moments where things get very exciting and you know, very horrible or very interesting or very uh, romantic and adventurous and marvelous and absolutely fantastic. But most of life is just like this. It's, it's nothing, it's nothing much. Yet. Putting on your robe, getting up, going to bed, eating food, washing your face, brushing your teeth, walking out of your room, coming to the sala. You know, this day after day after day. And, uh, and uh, so it's, uh, these, these things are, are not exciting. They're just, they're just so ordinary that 
that we don't value them as being anything in real practice. Real practice is learning to sit in a full lotus, like Iyengar. For hours, be able to sit there and go into, into a, a trance for seven hours in full lotus, not feel anything for seven hours. No pain, just bliss. Let it be a real achievement. And uh, how we can we can see the the glamour of of uh, of, of extreme of extreme behavior, but, but the Buddhist teaching is based on the ordinariness of life. And this uh, this was Lung Po Cha very much emphasized. Is always using words for the, the the word in Thai for ordinary is tamada which is dhamma, like tamma, tamada, this ordinary. I mean, even the Thai language lends itself towards these dhamma terms. Tamada, tamada. And, uh, and, and he was never encouraging us towards extreme practices. If we insisted on doing them, he wouldn't say no, but he was, he was always pointing to tamada, to the ordinary. And so this, you know, which I found, of course, was found. You know, uh, you know, it, was, it didn't. The ordinary wasn't uh, what I was interested in. And then I began to get the point after after making some disastrous experiments with extraordinary things. I decided that maybe he was right. I put my attention on the ordinary. And then, that when you're when you find that, that you're caught, you can pay attention to the ordinary. There's no problem with the extraordinary. Paying attention to the ex- extraordinary is not difficult. It's the ordinary that's the difficult one, because we're we don't know it. We don't think it's worth anything. We don't think it's it's real practice or there's anything to it. Just the, you know what you're used to, and, it, and anybody's doing it. You know, everybody's just walking and. Sitting, standing, walking, lying down, breathing, putting on their robe, taking them off, brushing their teeth, eating their food. So what? One can do that anyway. But they, <coughs> but we don't know. We are, you know, people generally are not with what they're doing. They're always thinking about something else or planning for the future, thinking about the past. Uh, uh, when they're walking, they're not with their bodies. They're off some. Their heads are hanged and some, or you know, going somewhere else. And and uh, life goes into this, this frantic mode, this rat race, the burnout of modern modern life. Is is taken. We've taken the, the extraordinary to a very high level. And the computers and the technology of modern life is extraordinary. It's magical. It's miraculous. You think a hundred years ago, uh, you know, people in, in 1895, they never thought of television. Now they have the, the only television, you have 
500 channels on a, on a, you know, at your beck and call, just push a button and enormous amount of, of, uh, of fantastic entertainment. It's like magic, isn't it? To us, it's just ordinary now. Everybody has television. Nothing to it. But imagine just a hundred years ago, when your grandmother with this television, entertainment, uh, uh, anything you can think of, any fantasy to come to come to fulfillment just by pushing a button, and uh, all kinds of good things, bad things, news, everything. It's a miracle. That's it. That's a fantastic. If you want miracles, then watch television. But if you want to practice Dhamma and uh, Tamada, then watch your breath. The, from the death to the deathless. Because all, all religious uh, paths talk about the deathless. Is it? And they, you know, or they say eternal life, they have various uh, terminologies for it. But what they're talking about is, is, is the deathless, the unconditioned. So that this this is uh, something to be realized in this life, in the, in the now. Now, not tomorrow. So that, what is, you know, within this human experience now as a human individual, this being here, because I can't be you, I can only be this one here at this moment, the deathless. That's the that's the conundrum, isn't it? Your mind just you can't you can't if you think about it it it, uh, it doesn't uh, it just, you know your mind goes blank because it's deathless it's, you can't can't make anything out of it in terms of ideas the definition but it's the 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 conditioned and the unconditioned or the self and the non-self, or sankhara and nibbana. So the Buddha was always pointing to that, to that, to the way, to the, the there is the escape from the condition. There is the unconditioned, and so that is that realization, the third noble truth, the realization of that. And so realization is through awakening, awakenness. It's not through thinking, it's not through contemplating on something, it's not becoming, it's not getting rid of, but it's awakened attention. And uh, where the contemplative mind, the reflective mind is, uh, is then capable of re realizing the deathless. So it's now, it's not something 
that you get next year after you practice on now. So the attitude is 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 the isn't isn't uh, one of, of gain or or trying to attain, but of this attentive watching, listening, reflecting upon. In the Buddha teachings, they're, 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 they're very helpful that way to, to, to emphasize certain things that we can reflect on. So when they, when the theist, theistic religious people dare to say Buddhism is not religion, <laughs> I don't really care what they think, <laughs> but they they see they they, they because of. Uh, their, their strong views about what religion is. But to me, it, it is the uh, essence. It's getting it right down to the, to the most simple formulation, the conditioned and the unconditioned. The realization of Nibbana is, is so direct and so simple. But it doesn't tell anything like union with God. It sounds totally kind of realizing Nibbana and union with God. Just, you know, how do you connect those two? You have to do some kind of intellectual gymnastics. <laughs> but in reflecting, isn't it, you, you're seeing that you're getting beyond that, the, the limitation of, of, of even your religious convention to realize it. And the, so the, the Buddhist path is is a realization of the death of, in, in the in the in the faith of Christian with union with God is a is a, to me how could it be other not that you know as, as an actual experience as a, as a realization or or, or Salvation. Well, it's just it's different use of language and, and it, it emphasis, different emphasis. But but you're you're pointing to the 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 separateness, the separation, and the like. You know, like saying Christianity, the me uh, separate from God, and then. And then the suffering that goes on because of the separation. So the aim is to, to, to seek union. And then one can proliferate about union and God and self and all that. It gets very, can get all kind of conscious into, into uh, you know, very, uh, very uh, strong ideas about it. But uh, then in the, in the Buddhist approach, Realization of non-attachment, nibbana, <laughs> because the problem is in the delusion of the mind. The separation is an illusion due to ignorance. 
the sense of being a separate uh, entity, kind of cut off from from everything, and being an isolated individual, uh, is is the illusion that we have through ignorance, through not seeing things as they really are. So then, the the awakening, the attentiveness, the the looking into, the investigation, the watching, all this allows to break, give us the opportunity to to uh, to let go of these illusions. So then there's the realization of nibbana, other than the 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 suffering of samsara. The, the, the lonely wanderer in the samsara is what it feels like on the individual, on the personal level, and then in the uh, realization of nibbana. So that's enough for this evening, and uh, sit till uh, twelve.